If you have your Bibles with you, please turn to Romans chapter 8, and we will be looking at verses 18, or not 18, verses 14 to 17 this morning. Uh, it can be found on page 80, 888 in the Pew Bibles. Uh, feel free to use those Bibles. Uh, if you don't have a Bible at home, uh, feel free to take this one home with you. Uh, receive it as a gift from First Alliance Church to you this morning. So, um, in the American culture, uh, a child is given a name like Robert, uh, and eventually um, in their lifetime it will get shortened to Bob or Bobby. Uh, we're, we are familiar with that. Um, you actually might be a Bob or Bobby, but your real name is Robert, so you totally get what I'm saying here. Uh, names don't exactly work like that in the Hmong culture, though. Uh, in the Hmong culture, when you are born, you're, giving, you're given a name, but it's considered a, a child's name or a kitty name. And again, it's K-I-D-D-Y, not K-I-T-T-E-N, kitty name. Or what the Hmong people would like to say, they, call, they say, Be mil, yo. When a boy becomes a man, though, an adult name is given to replace that child's name permanently, to which the Hmong community will only refer to that man by that name. This name identifies everything that he is in charge of, his household, uh, his family, his kids will be known as so-and-so's kid. A child's name, when given to them, it's meant to be simple and lovely. Oftentimes, it will be a single-syllable name so that people can say it with ease and with youthfulness because it represents the season of life for that boy. For the boy, you know, they're in youth, they're a child, so the name should reflect that. For example, the name Zhe or Jer, translated into English, is a common Hmong name. But if this is the name of a young boy, you would add this expressive term alongside their name, such as Min Zhe or Mitun Zhe. These expressive terms are used to make this son feels special. But when the boy gets married, he becomes an adult, and then he is given an adult name. And this process is called timbelo, meaning attach old name. And you can't, and here's the thing, is that you can't give yourself your own old name. Your in-laws, specifically your father-in-law, would be the one who gives the name to you or chooses the name for you. So, FYI, young men, if you are planning on marrying a Hmong sister, uh, be a good son-in-law. See, this is the culturally revered way. This is how you honor your in-laws, is you give them the honor of giving you your adult name. Now, the importance of this name is that it is that that is given is believed to bring wisdom. It's believed to bring blessings of health, wealth, uh, prosperity, uh, everything positive in life. 
But what's even more interesting is that when a man is constantly bombarded with bad luck or what my wife likes to call it, bad juju, uh, or illness, or is said to be out of, uh, it is said to be out of sync. That man is out of sync with his adult name. And when this happens, the name can be changed. I love my culture. I love how God has made me. And I always find something new about it. And you may be wondering, what's the point of this illustration? Here's the thing, is that in our time this morning, I want to bring a focus onto this name change that God gives to us when we are his children. What brings me even more comfort and peace then enjoy that when, when I'm studying my culture and studying who I am is that God has, my heavenly father has given me a new name. The thing about this new name is that it gives me a new identity. It lets me know of a freedom that only he can give. And I'm given the joy of being a recipient of gospel privileges. This morning in our text, as we study this passage from Romans chapter 8, verses 14 to 17, my prayer is simply this, is that you will see the Father's heart and his desire for you to be made anew. So let's turn our attention to our passage this morning, verses 14 to 17 in chapter 8 of Romans. And Paul writes to us this, For all who are led by the Spirit of God are sons of God. For you did not receive the spirit of slavery to fall back into fear, but you have received the spirit of adoption as sons by whom we cry, Abba, Father. The Spirit himself bears witness with our spirit that we are children of God. And if children, then heirs, heirs of God and fellow heirs with Christ provided we suffer with him in order that we may also be glorified with him. Let's pray. Lord, we, our prayer is simple this morning as we want your word to speak, to transform us from the inside out into the likeness of your son, Jesus. Lord, we ask for your spirit to open up our ears, our hearts, and our minds to receive your word this morning. We come before you. We ask all this in your son Jesus' name. Amen. If you are familiar with Romans chapter 8, it is a wonderful, uh, wonderful, a hope-filled, powerful passage of Scripture. Uh, One commentator describes Romans 8 as a storehouse of gospel blessings. I love that. And he he goes on further to say that it is uh, because so it begins with no condemnation and it ends with no separation. What powerful proclamations, right? For all believers, this chapter is one that reminds us of the already but not yet reality for what is in store for all believers. 
So to our four verses here, these four verses in particular are like this bridge that connects two planes of life for the believer. So in the first 13 verses of chapter 8, Paul writes about the sanctifying work of the Holy Spirit in one's life. Specifically about how those in Christ are no longer bound by the power of flesh, but instead the Spirit fills them and what flows from them is life and peace. And we see that very clearly in verse 6 in chapter 8 here. Paul writes to us, For to set the mind on the flesh is death, but to set the mind on the Spirit is life and peace. Now, the second part, verses 18 to 30, Paul focuses on now this future glory, something that is later on. And he describes the longing of creation to be redeemed, finally being satisfied. How broken creation is made anew, how the longing in our souls are met with satisfaction through life in the Spirit, how the enjoyment of gospel, the, the, ultimately the enjoyment of gospel privileges, as one author puts it. So how do these four verses this morning, verses 14 to 17, serve as a bridge then? Here, Paul highlights the turning point. There's something that has to happen. It's like, uh, you're familiar if you read comic books, uh, there is a canon moment in each comic book story. For example, Spider-Man, right? In the moment that made Spider-Man who uh, he is, granted he was bit by the spider, but the, the moment that made Spider-Man who he really was as a hero was the death of his Uncle Ben. That was the canon moment. That was the moment that made him realize, wow, this is what it means to be a a hero. Is that I have to change my mindset. I have to surrender certain things. In this instance, the canon moment, you can say, is being adopted into the family of God. So why why adoption? Why would Paul mention adoption in this, and I believe Paul is very strategic with the language that he used. You see, in the Roman world, adoption was a familiar concept. It wasn't like, oh my goodness, like, why would Paul ever mention that? No, the readers would understand Paul's points. As the adoptee was brought into the family, they would receive the same privileges of that of a child who was born through natural birth within the family. Now, granted, there are a variety of reasons why Roman families would initiate such a thing, anywhere from preservation of family uh, culture and name to succession of power. So what do I mean by that? So the preservation of a family uh, dynamic was crucial to the survival of Roman culture itself. Each home would have a culture of its own. Take, for example, your own personal household. If your family takes a vacation, a family vacation at a certain time of year, every year, 
eventually your child or your children will kind of pick up on that and will probably carry on that tradition, right? So that was one way, is this adoption is to carry this life, carry the way of living to the next generation. Another thing for why, why adoption was a concept at that time, a common concept, was the motivation for it was that they wanted to keep political power on certain values and certain principles. And the first to mid-second century Roman emperors, they would adopt men, grown men, who were not blood-related to them with the intention that they would carry on these principles and values and beliefs to the next generation, to the next, to the next. When we see this text, here's the thing that we want to see is the father desires us to be part of his own. And as we are part of his family through adoption, through the father's initiation of adoption, we are given a new identity we experience, I would say, true freedom. And we enjoy gospel privileges. So three things we want to highlight in our time this morning in this text is through the Father's adoption, we are given a new identity. We experience true freedom. And we relish in gospel privileges. So to our first point this morning, Through the Father's adoption, we are given a new identity. Paul starts off in verse 14 with, For all who are led by the Spirit of God are, what? Sons of God. Identity is a huge issue in today's world. We base our identity on what we do, what we accomplish, titles, all important things, but is minuscule, when compared to the timeline of eternity. And a book called Three Big Questions That Change Every Teenager, they said that this question of, of identity is a statement of how we view ourselves. More specifically, identity is asking ourselves, what makes me the best me? Now, I believe that this isn't just a, a question that pertains to youth, though. Uh, But it's a question that all of us, we have asked. Now, granted, the youth will probably ask this more times than adults. But nonetheless, even as adults, we've asked this question from time to time. In other words, I'm sure that all of us in this room has has one time in our life asked this question, this simple three-worded question. Who am I? This verse here answers that question for us, though. There's not much digging that we have to do in our text this morning for us to answer that. It's simply this. You are a child of God. The best version of you is not one that you can develop yourself. The best version of you is not one that you can achieve. The best version of yourself is one that is given to you. It is one that is gifted to you. 
the identity of a child of God, that right there should bring us peace, should bring us joy. Now, this answer doesn't just help us individually, though. Sometimes we look at this, and, it, and it's, it's soul, it, it, I, not soul satisfying, but soul, soul satisfying to know that we are children or we are a child of God. But it doesn't just stop there. This answer is also for us as a community as well. If we are asking who we are as a community, the answer is the same, is that we are children of God. And this is so important, as one pastor highlights in his commentary, he says this, if you get your identity right, you will get your community right. Because ultimately, once you get your community right, you will also get your purpose right. If you're someone in here who is asking that question, what is my purpose? My challenge to you is this. Take a step back. Who are you? Take a step back. Who, what is your community looking like? Because your community will tell you who you are. Now, Please don't hear this as words of uh, words with with weight, where it's it weighs you down as a burden. That's not what I want to do here. What I want us to see is this encouragement: is that because you are in the family of God, joy should fill your hearts when you hear this. That you are no longer searching for identity from the world, but rather you go into the world. With the Spirit of God in you, sharing this message of hope to those who are asking that question. You have the answers. You have the tools to do so as a child of God. Let us remember that it is only through the Father's adoption, though. It's not through our actions. It's not through what we do. It's not from anything that we can achieve. It is solely through the initiation of the Father that we are given a new identity. Our second point. Through the Father's adoption, we experience true freedom. Now, Paul goes on in verse 15, for you did not receive the spirit of slavery to fall back into fear, but you have received the spirit of adoption as sons by whom we cry, Abba, Father. Now, what a powerful verse, a powerful proclamation that is. If you ever have a moment where you are doubting yourself, where you are finding yourself in a moment of darkness, remind yourself Read this. Stitch it upon your hearts. You can sense Paul's excitement and enthusiasm in these verses. At least I, I did when I was reading through this and praying through this. I'm like, I can see why Paul, Paul was who he was. Why when he was faced with danger, I'm sure he was stressed, but man, did he have joy. One commentator says this, is that freedom and security now rule our lives instead of bondage to fear. 
we are at peace with God now. We have security. We are no, no longer insecure, fearful orphans. We are loved and protected children. If you've had the privilege of being a parent, you can attest to this. The moment when your child comes running to you because they are afraid of something and they know that you are their safe space. This is what Paul is telling us, paraphrasing here, is that, hey, if you are wrestling with sin by God's power, you can conquer it. If you are wrestling with doubts by God's power, you can overcome it. If you're hearing whispers from the enemy that tells you that you are not worthy by God's power, his word reminds us that we are his children and we cry out to the Father. He is that safe space for you. No matter how old you may be, no matter how young you may be, the Lord receives his children from all walks of life. Now, this is the turning point of a person's life when the Father's heart and love is revealed to them, his grace, his love, his mercy, and, and our response, the proper response, I will even say the only response that we should have to this is our affections should be stirred for him. Because of the experience of true freedom that God has bestowed on us, when we are in him, our intimacy grows deeper towards the Father as well. Paul uses these two names, Abba and Father, to depict this intimacy that we have with God when we are in Christ and the Spirit is in us. There are two reasons why we want to highlight the use of Abba and Father in this text. The first one is the use of these names, why Paul will use this, is that this is, in a way, a seal uh, uh, or a proof that the Spirit is in you. No one comes to God crying, Abba, Father, unless their affections are stirred by the Holy Spirit. It's a similar concept that is found in Paul's other writings in 1 Corinthians chapter 12, where he says, no one says Jesus is Lord except by the Holy Spirit. Sinclair Ferguson says this here in Romans chapter 8, when we cry, Abba, Father, It is the fruit of the Spirit's work in us. The second reason is for adoration. Adoration is one, this adoration is one that is rooted in reverence of who God is. This term, specifically Abba, let's take a look at this. We will often hear that this term Abba means daddy, which is often used by children. But as studies shows, adult children would still call their father Abba. And I'm not talking about the band either. The commentator says Abba is most likely a family term used by both children and adults and expresses intimacy and affections for parents. When we look at another passage in the New Testament, specifically Mark 14, 
Jesus here is preparing for the biggest challenge to his earthly ministry. The cross is looming over him. We see Jesus use the term Abba, but in this case, it holds a weight of sincerity and deep trust in such a way that Jesus had never done before. This term Abba is such a unique term that scholars, they just leave the term as is, untranslated from the Aramaic because of it. So for us to just simply say that this term Abba is this, oh, okay, he's my daddy. Yes, it's that. But I think there's even more to that. When you cry out Abba, it's this reverence of realizing that God, you are great. God, you are good. God, I should fear you. Not in a fear where you don't want to do anything, but a fear of reverence and of respect. So what does this mean for us? True freedom that is found in God through Jesus is one that transforms us thoroughly. It does not leave room for doubt or for fear. Christ's follower, my brothers and my sisters, through the Father's adoption, we are given true freedom. And we can hold fast to this because of who God the Father is. Abba, Father, again, he is great, he is mighty, he is all-powerful, and he is majestic. And yet, he is gentle. True freedom comes from knowing that we have a Father who is all these things, and we can place our trust in him. Let's remember that through the Father's adoption, We experience true freedom. And I should add, we experience a new love. Our last point. Through the Father's adoption, we relish in gospel privileges. What do I mean by this? It's very simple. is that we enjoy the inheritance that God has for us. Now, if you're asking what this inheritance is, it's sharing in the glory of Christ one day. We get to share the glory of Christ, our elder brother, Jesus. Paul uses this term as well, heirs, to describe who we are when God calls us his children is that we are not just his children that just is on the side. No, we are his heirs. From the text, one could also ask, why does Paul say only sons and not mention daughters as well? In in Paul's day, especially within the community that Paul was writing to, only sons were received their inheritance. But here's the thing, the amazing thing is that in the gospel, though, All Christ's followers are sons. We are all heirs to God's inheritance. Check out what he says in Galatians chapter 3, verse 28. There is neither Jew nor Greek. There is neither slave nor free. There is no male and female, for you are all one in Christ Jesus. Now, 
this promise of inheritance is not one that we just take and we just go do whatever it is that we want. Meaning this is that it's not just simply a, a get out of jail or get out of hell card or anything like that. No, it's a weight that we carry with us. Like a son who takes over the patriarch when the patriarch dies, taking the responsibility and the stress, our inheritance is one that will have moments of suffering, will have many moments of suffering, many moments of stress, and and moments such as that. Remember what Paul writes to us as well is simply this, to press on. Press on because we will share in his glory one day. So for us this morning, in conclusion here, what does this mean about the Father? What do we want to know about the Father in this? It's simply this. He is a Father that welcomes the orphan. He is a Father that welcomes the lost. He is a Father that welcomes the homeless. He will provide those things for you. He extends that invitation for you to be given a new identity, to experience true freedom and a new love in such a way that you can never explain it. He extends this invitation for you to enjoy, to relish in gospel privileges, to enjoy the inheritance that will be given one day. This is the Father's heart for the orphan the father is one who doesn't run out of gifts he is generous with his mercies and grace he gives it to his children Some of us in this room, Father's Day is a hard one for some of us. For those in this room who've had a great father figure, a God-fearing father figure, praise the Lord. I praise the Lord with you that, that, that the Spirit of God worked within their lives, that they knew the fear of the Lord. And not only that, but they trained you up to be fearful of the Lord, to be respectful, to love the Lord with all your heart, mind, soul, and spirit, all of who you are. I join you in praise with that. But the reality is, in our broken world, we don't have that. Not everybody in this room has that. So Father's Day comes around and it's a hard one for some of us. It's hard for us because we've experienced the Father in such a negative way that when we hear about the God, the Father, God the Father who loves us and cares for us, we kind of snicker and we say, is that so? And my heart is burdened for you if you, are, if you resonate with that. If you resonate with that, my, my heart goes out to you and my prayer is this, is that you will see in Scripture today, His very words tells you and invites you to no longer be an orphan, but to be 
his own. You don't have to be alone anymore. You don't have to be homeless. You don't have to be hopeless. You can be his child. You can be his heir. My plea for you is that if you resonate with that this morning, do not leave here with those burdens again. Do not leave here alone. Do not leave this place as an orphan once when you first came in. Go, leave as a child and heir to God, an heir of God, a child of him. You don't have to be alone. And he calls to you. Let's pray. Lord, your word is one that holds a lot of weights and one that also brings so much peace and joy to us. That we were once lost, but now we are found. And even for some of those in this room this morning, we may still be identifying as an orphan. Jesus, I simply ask this, would you intervene? Would you be the spokesperson? Would you be the representative? Would you be the one that meets this brother or sister who is an orphan? And would you tell them, tell them, him or her, about the Father's love, the Father's goodness, the Father's mercy, the Father's grace? Lord, for those in this room who has had a father figure who displayed the fear of the Lord, who displayed the love of the Lord, who displayed the grace and mercy of the Lord, Lord, we come before you and we praise you for that as well of your spirit's work. And for those who are wrestling with this concept of the Father, I pray that you will meet them, that you reveal yourself in such a way, in such a way that they, that they will turn from sin, from death, that they will come to you and receive. Receive this new identity. Receive this true freedom and this new love and to enjoy the things that you have in store for them. Lord, we come before you thanking you for your word. We pray all this in your son Jesus' name. Amen.